Welcome to Nature Backed Podcast of Single Earth. In this podcast, we are talking with investors about the vision of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Virki, and in this episode, I'm talking with Alex Fellman about family offices, how family offices are different from the classical VCs, and what's the investment logic for many family offices. Enjoy the show. Hi, Alex. Thanks to, to, for the, coming to the show. So we're recording this Nature Backed episode at the Tech Chill in Riga. And I think Riga is, Riga is your hometown these days, right? Yeah, no, I, I moved here right before the pandemic in, in 2002, um, which is kind of surprising, so to, so to speak. I, I moved right in, in January and I was like, oh, ready. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. And I'd say it, it made for an interesting transition, as you could probably imagine. I've been an expat for, I think it's like 13 years for now. I left the US in 2009. And usually I've been, this is a fifth country I've lived in. Usually the transition is relatively easy, um, but moving right before the pandemic, it, it's even now, close to two years later, I, I almost feel like I haven't quite integrated as much as I would have otherwise, just just because of almost the randomness of life, so to speak. Absolutely, right? it, it just, absolutely. just weird timing. Mm. Um, but yeah, but but this is now my home, and it looks like it's going to be my home for the foreseeable future. Mm. Um, so so looking forward, and and honestly, I really like the region. I think it's quite quite exciting, quite up and coming. Um, a lot happening. A There's lot a lot, happening. a lot happening, and I, I think, for me, from a lot of places that I've been in, and been part of quite a few different tech communities, um, I think they have the right mentality here. Mm. Um, I, I think they're they're very much, in a lot of ways, I think have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, have a kind of a small, small country mentality of like, hey, we, we need to make our mark on the world. Let's go, let's go get it. Um, honestly, if if we don't get it ourselves, like no one's gonna give it to us. Mm. I, I, and I think that that's highly necessary in the tech space. Mm. You need to kind of have this mentality of like, oh, no one's gonna give this to us. We need to we need to go take it. Um, and I, I think that's very vibrant here, and, yeah. and um, yeah, so so, I, so so that's quite exciting. And there's a lot of other kind of, I know that's not the purpose of, of this talk, but I think there's a lot of other reasons that, that mm. it's actually quite interesting. And I think I'm actually speaking on that topic next week. I'm, I'm going to an event in Vienna, and I think that's okay. going to be one of the, one of the topics of you know why 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 Eastern Europe, why the Baltics, mm. etc. In terms of investments. So, but yeah, I, I, I like it, and I'm, I'm quite mm. excited. Tell a few words about your background. I mean, you're from sure. US originally. Yeah. So. Uh, I won't, I'll try to keep this short because uh, I have quite a broad background, but originally I'm an American. I'm from New York. Um, and on a high level, I, I do kind of three different things. Uh, been a serial entrepreneur. I'm not going to focus too much on that in the, in the context, but we're running a couple different things. Um, the second thing, which I think is quite relevant for this conversation, is my family has a family office. Um, for people who don't really know what that is, um, it's essentially an investment firm of family money. So it's private wealth. Um, and we're actually quite unique in what we do there. And we're unique in the sense that we have both our own family office, so my, my personal family that started with my father, my uncles are involved, and et cetera. Now my sister's actually got involved re- relatively recently. Um, but we also have a multifamily office, which means we work with other families around the globe. Um, and where we're unique, there, there are a lot of multifamily setups, um, but where, where I, th- I would say we're quite unique is, is we act almost like a corporate venture capital as a service mm-hmm. for these family businesses. So almost all the families we work with are still actually active in the core businesses that they work for. Um, and just for whatever reason, they don't have kind of an internal CVC. And so we act as almost like an outsourced CVC for these families. Um, and that really kind of changes the way we look at investments because we're really looking for strategic investments, investments that families can use in their core businesses. Um, and I think, um, let's say, particularly in the context of, of kind of this conversation, I, I think it, it really brings itself out towards impact because let's say, a lot of them are looking for these types of potentially impact-related things and we can kind of dive into specifics later. Mm. 
because they actually need to do that for their businesses. It's not necessarily, let's say, for the I don't know philosophy of it or or the values or or it's it's no actually you know uh, I'll give you an example. We work with families in the energy space. They have to go through the energy transition. Like just just that's the nature of you know. I think most people, for example, who are in oil oil and gas, see the writing on the wall. They they kind of know if they want to stay in the energy space in the future, they're going to have to do the energy transition. We're helping them find opportunities that help them do that. Just as one kind of example, and I think that's quite different than than let's say other types of investors who you might see other investors in the impact space who are like, oh, we want to make a better world, so we're going to kind of invest in it. Where we're looking at like, oh no, um, I actually strongly believe that uh, most companies moving forward will have to be very kind of um, impact or environmentally oriented with the, with the way that you do business. So we're seeing that play out real time for these companies. And, and that's really how we're looking. And I don't know, I guess a different part of that is kind of where, where I tend to fit in. My background is actually in biochemistry and, and the deep sciences. And so I really look at some of some of the clean tech. Um, a lot of also what I would say is the intersection, because I, I think a lot of the things, let's say, with energy, food, and agriculture, and, and sort of food health and agriculture are really all connected to each other. It's much more of a system. And so looking at those different things and how they intercept with each other and looking at some different opportunities there um, is really how, how I get involved. And so I'm, I'm really looking at some clean tech, but also some ag tech and food tech and, and healthcare and, and these types of things and some of the intersections between those. Mm. Uh, you, you mentioned the gas and the energy industry transition. Have you seen that kind of the change with the you know, Russia situation? Um, so I would say just in the nature, short answer is not really, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's more so because the the way that we view investing and i think honestly if you're doing stuff in in kind of what's called the impact or environmental space you're you're not really looking at issues that are let's say short-term three-month issues you're looking at more five to ten year issues right and if you look if you look at things on a five to ten year time scale then these kind of immediate issues don't really make a huge difference maybe but to be honest i haven't seen it maybe it will kind of uh, in the same way that, let's say, COVID accelerated a lot of digital trans- tr- transformation. Mm-hmm. So you might start to see that, like, let's say, plans that, that some of these people, not to say that I've seen this, but I could, mm-hmm. I could imagine this playing itself out, that plans that these people already had for energy transition, all of a sudden they go, hey, let's, let's you know, uh, put on the things. gas. Yeah. Let, let's, let's push it a little bit more. I think to a certain extent, right, it's, it's, mm-hmm. we thought we had five to ten years to do this, and now we realize maybe we have a year to yeah. do this. <laughs> But that's yeah. kind of the, the practicality, right? Mm, exactly. And, and I think, I think this is always a thing—not necessarily just our businesses, but I think in general, right? If, if you have an established business, there's always kind of this balance of, well, we have things that are making money today, and we we still, if we don't continue to nurture them, then those things will kind of the, the revenue we're gaining will kind of disappear. But we also, let's say, see the writing on the wall, and have to prepare for the future. So, so how do you balance that, right? Mm-hmm. How do we balance of like? You know, maybe we're making billions of dollars out of oil and gas today, but we know that long term, we're probably not going to be able to do that. But if we kind of say take our foot off the gas of oil and gas at the moment, no pun intended, um, th- then we won't be making billions of dollars today, and, and that's a, that's a juggling act, right? Mm. Um, but I think a lot of them sort of know, and, and they're diversifying their assets into more you know sustainable types of mm. forms of energy, um, and and. I think it'd be silly to say that, let's say, these types of players don't see the writing on the wall. No, they're, they're well aware of, mm. of where, where things are going, mm. right? right? The, uh, does the, the nature of the family office 
does it is it in a way different from the classical investment firm is is does the word family bring something into it which is you know not uh, not there for uh, maybe purely capitalistic vc um not necessarily so so yes and no it, it, i think that the answer to my question is yes and no and i think on a certain level different things one i think in a lot of ways because it's family it, you're actually dealing with like real like individuals and with the fact that you're dealing with individuals you have a, a much greater let's say variety of of structures of how the actual company is is structured right whereas let's say vcs generally speaking if you go from one vc to another vc the actual structure is pretty similar and relatively standardized because it's, mm-hmm. it's an institution um there's kind of standards that that they they, they go to right and I would kind of argue at this point, most of them look more or less the same. There's a bit of innovation, but not so much. Families are kind of like, it's my own money, so I'm going to run this however yeah. I decide to run it. Mm. Um, and I think that's actually, in a certain way, kind of interesting, because I think you're actually getting more of the innovation there, because they have the ability of, well, if something goes wrong, like, I made a mistake, and, and I'm the one who has to kind of deal with it, so, you know, that's what happens, where I don't think you can really do that, let's say, as a VC that takes other per- people's money, because if something goes wrong, I mean, depending on how bad it gets, you might even get like lawsuit. Like, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's it's a much bigger mess. Yeah, right. And and it's it's sort of you you don't have that um, responsibility in the same way. I mean, mm. certainly yes, you're responsible for your own money, but on the same time, especially as an American, right? I also have the individual freedom to kind of use that money as I see fit. So mm. I think that's kind of one one aspect of of people like to think of family offices as kind of like one lump group that we go, oh yeah, we can just kind of approach family offices. And you start to realize, like, let's say. In the same way that every family is very different, <laughs> every family office is very, very different, yeah. right? And and you're just seeing that play out in the finance space. So I think that's one thing. I think, and this is, let's say, slightly more of a generalization, but I, I do think on the whole, especially family, I, I like to tend to think that there tend to be, on a high level, relatively two types of family offices. Um, one that are more, let's say, fi- finance-oriented and one that are more entre- entrepreneurial-oriented. And certainly, um, one of the differences is, let's say, how active they are kind of with with how they do everything to some extent how professional it is but i think it's really about you know do you want to be kind of in, invest and leave it or do you want to kind of get your hands dirty I, I imagine you can i imagine you can imagine that the entrepreneurial families just in their nature they, they want to get their hands dirty right okay. and, they, and they want to do that and um not quite out where i was going with this this <laughs> this thread but i think that's that's one of the big differences and i think generally speaking as well with the entrepreneurial families their time horizons, I think, are, are much more different than, I think, a lot of investors, mm, right? And with that in mind, right, if you're looking at a fund, a fund, by definition, has, like, a fixed fixed term, mm. whatever it is. It, usually, it's 10 years with a couple of, like, add-ons to get out, mm. but whatever they decide, they tell their investors, we're, we're in for this long, we're getting out, mm. and that's it. And I think a lot of families aren't that way. They're sort of, especially if we're looking into, like, these types of issues, mm. uh, they go, especially my family, for example, we tend to invest till exit. Mm. And I mean, that could be five years, that could be 15 years, that could be 20 years, right? Mm. And and it's just sort of like, oh, do we like this? And if we're like this, we're getting involved and we're going to stay in, in, in as it plays out. And I think one of the things that, let's say, that benefits kind of in, in the context of this is, right, if you're looking at more environmental sustainability issues, we are actually looking at problems that are of these longer timeframes that maybe don't really fit into a more standard a kind of VC time exactly. time frame, and and let's say we're let's say a number of families who are, let's say interested in investing in this space are more willing to take bets that they kind of know yeah I'm just going to sit on this for a decade or plus, and and because I let's say because I know that 
for this problem to be solved, it might take a decade plus, right? And it's like almost no fund can take that. Yeah. Can 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 take those yeah. types of types of risks, yeah. right? I've spoken. I've spoken with a number of funds who have said that uh, that's one of the main problems, in a way, with our climate and the environment uh, sector. That they have a fixed ten-year time frame. You know, if they don't go in on the year one, maybe it's the year three or four when that opportunity is on the table, and then at the year eight they need to start to figure out what's the quickest way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Then there is not really that much time to actually have an impact. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that is one of the issues. I, I, it's really interesting because this is one thing that I've sort of thought about not just with that in general but just the fact that you are forced to exit at some point whatever it is greatly changes the way you think about investing mm-hmm. um and you sort of know like okay i need to get out you know and, it, and honestly i think it actually hurts you as an investor of, of having to be like oh i need to get out before some time because basically i promise the people who gave me money that they will get money back beside behind um by a certain date mm-hmm. um and that's one of the things around the family office is let's say Unless you find yourself in a situation where you're like, "Oh crap, I need the money like no. now," then then you can just sort of ride it out for as long as you think it makes sense to ride it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's something that is really really different. And I, I honestly think you make better investment decisions that way. Personally, is, is I think family offices can make better investment decisions because they don't have this constraint that basically says, "Oh, we need to get out at a certain point," so you can just sort of. Mm. Get out when it's appropriate. Mm. It's the same philosophical logic in a way that you know if you pitch your startup, maybe you don't always need the exit mm-hmm. page or mm-hmm. on your slide deck, right? Yeah. That wasn't exactly where I thought you were going with this, okay. but but yeah, I, I'm with you. Of, of sort of, if you're building your company for exit, or if you're building your company for the you know bigger yeah, growth or future, yeah. or that you know. No, no, I I, yeah. I, th- I think sort of what you're getting at, right? Mm-hmm. Is I think about this a lot. Uh, once you brought it up, and I think it's. Sometimes a good way of framing it. Uh, Simon Sinek talked a lot about uh, finite versus infinite games, mm-hmm. and very much whether you're playing a finite game or an infinite game, very much changes how you play the game. Exactly. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. If you if you're having an exit, you're basically playing a finite game. Yeah. And so if you're playing a finite game, you have to basically be like, to a certain extent, like I need to maximize my score, whatever mm-hmm. score is in whatever context you're talking about, within a certain time frame because. Because that's when the buzzer runs out. Mm-hmm. So I need to I need to have the highest score b- before the buzzer runs out. Otherwise, you know, oh. you're 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 out of luck or you lose. Yeah. Or depending yeah. on, your, on on what the analogy is, yeah. if you're playing an infinite game that doesn't really matter. There, to, to a certain extent, there isn't really a score. It's sort of like, okay, how can I kind of do the best that I can? You know, what can I do to let's say maximize whatever it is you're trying to optimize for? Mm-hmm. And, and that could be a lot of different things. It might be money, um, but I do think, for example. Let's say a lot of families, just because of the nature of how they are, like might not really be optimizing for money. Mm. Um, and I think that's a different thing too, right? If if you're only trying to optimize for financial gain, then then that also, let's say, puts you on a, a very narrow perspective on 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 let's say your investment space. But if you're maximizing for other things or multiple things, then then it kind of gives you a lot more flexibility to. You know, you, you start to consider investment opportunities that you wouldn't be considering otherwise. Mm-hmm. And you might go like, okay, maybe I'm getting slightly less investment returns. Not to say that, that you know, sometimes they, let's say arguments against impact is about that. Not to say that that's the case, but you can say that, oh, I'm getting slightly less here because it actually gives me greater, I see greater value in this other metric mm-hmm. th- that isn't the finance metric, right? And and so you can, you can really watch that play itself out. Um, and it just gives you, I, I'm a big fan of let's say optionality, right? It gives you op- it gives you options, exactly. And it, it, instead of narrowing down your options, it opens up your options, and you can really be much more strategic about how you choose to play your options. 
is, is, is one of the things I... Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electricast. Yeah. Am, I, am I kind of maybe drawing a too far reaching conclusion saying that based on that, one could uh, say that uh, for the environmental startups, raising money from family offices could make much more sense than raising money from VCs. I mean, sure. I, I think, that, no, no, I, I think, I would say in general, yeah. I think you can often make that claim, not just in environmental startups, but I think you can make that claim um, on many types of startups. And But I think the bigger reason you can make that claim, and we haven't really talked about it, but especially if you're talking about entrepreneurial family offices, right? They tend to be in the industry. Like, they tend to be investing in the industries where they have their businesses or or adjacent industries. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're, they're knowledgeable about the space, which means that they are very often smart money. Um, they very often care about those industries. Right? They're kind of let's say if you've built your family's business in an industry, you're probably passionate about it, <laughs> often, right? Um, and I think this is the bigger part about it is is you can actually get better smart money. And I think that's why it sort of makes a lot of sense. I think the other thing about that too, right, is if you have them as smart money, it, I, I always do this because I, I do a lot of, uh, sort of this, a little bit of a tangent, but I, I do a lot of sort of advisory mentorship and, 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 and whatnot. And one of the things I'm kind of always telling startups is when you bring on an investor, they're basically becoming part of, like a part of the actual company. They're becoming one of your partners. They're, they're becoming part of your story, right? And so then the question starts to become like, okay, I think you, let's say, assuming you have the option and you're not sort of desperate for money, then you should choose those partners very thoughtfully and carefully. And I would say, generally speaking, I think family offices become really, really good partners for a number of the reasons that I just mentioned. Um, a lot of them tend to be, you know, if they're getting into something, let's say, unless you really screw it up, they're probably going to be until exit, right? And mm-hmm. generally speaking, you probably want, you know, having an investor who's, once they're on the ride, there until the ride runs out, it's probably an investor you want. They're most likely in the industry that you're in. Mm. Having investors who are from the industry you're in, probably investors you want. And and sub of that is they probably have the expertise you need. They probably have the contacts you need. Much more so than I say a lot of funds. And I think for us, uh, maybe a side of that is generally speaking, um, we'll like we're mostly direct investors. But we do invest in some funds, but we're like almost entirely only investing in specialist funds. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking for basically top two or three experts in a very, very specific niche. And then I think, you know, if I were a startup, like that's kind of what you want as, as an investor. If you have an environmental startup, yeah, there's probably a couple of really good environmental VC funds, but those are really what you want. You don't like, why would you want to, in my opinion, why would you want a generalist VC fund? Uh, if you really need the money, I, I'm not going to sort of um, downplay that some startups just struggle raising mm-hmm. funds and kind of need to take money from wherever they can. That That is, let's say, uh, a real part of the game, so to speak. It's, it's a real reality of the situation is you can't always be choosy. But 
if you can be choosy, then you probably, I would say is like choosing investor is going to be the best partner for you, best help you grow, best open doors, kind of understand the path you need to go down. And my personal opinion is that's mostly going to be a specialist fund. The, the more generalist VCs, funds, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see the value there mm. on the whole. And that might maybe get me in a little bit of trouble, but... but no, that's totally fine. Uh, the, uh, I, I, I don't have too much experience yeah. with the family offices. Do, that, do you guys usually kind of, let's say a startup is raising X amount of money, do you usually or do you often even go in like fully on that? Or are you part of the, I don't know, syndicates of five or ten different investors? I would say it depends. Okay. It, it greatly depends. I think mm -hmm. this, this comes back to every family office is different. Uh, each one kind of has their own. I think a lot of them, though, I think it's one of these things, and this kind of maybe connects to a little bit of what, I, maybe I didn't quite say this, but slightly mm -hmm. connected to some of the things I said before. I would say is that because, generally speaking, let's say, mostly talking about the entrepreneurial families right now, I think that's a little bit more relevant to our mm -hmm. conversation, is let's say most of them have industry expertise that they can help them de-risk their investment, right? Because they can actually put their own resources into making sure their investment's a success. If that's the case, then they probably want to take enough of an investment where they can actually have sway on the company because otherwise then, if they can't put sway on the company, then they're basically leaving resources on the sideline because they can't actually, let's say, leverage their resources to, to nudge the company in a direction that will help ensure the investment is a success, mm. right? So I think in a lot of ways, that is something that they can consider, right? We, we want to make sure we have enough of, let's say, our own skin in the game that, that you know, let's say, uh, just as an example, um, we know that the, the founders and the management team will like take our calls. Like, I, I mean, just as an example, right? Yeah. If, if you're a relatively small investor, maybe ideally they should, but... Not always. But not always. But if you're a significant investor, most likely they're going to take your calls. They're just as that type of thing. And, and you, know, you can open those doors and really leverage it. And I think that's for us one thing we notice is like, on the whole, unless we can be um, like smart money, we pretty much don't invest. Mm. Like, like unless we believe that we can somehow, you know, add our own resources into the mix to, to kind of de-risk the investment, we're, we're more or less not going to invest. Mm. And I think a lot of, at least entrepreneurial families think that way. Mm. Um, and I think maybe more directly answering your question, so they're more like, you know, to take at least some significant portion, um, or at least, an, again, I think this depends on exactly what a startup is, is raising, but depending on what that is, you know, they kind of have a sweet spot to know that, oh, if we have, and it's probably different for every family, but we kind of know like, oh, if we know that as long as we have X percent, we know that we can kind of nudge the company in different mm -hmm. directions. And so we kind of like having that much, or it could be the type of thing, because there is definitely, um, let's say families, I think there is something that families do kind of like to invest as, as kind of a syndicate. Um, one thing, I think sometimes they're larger, sometimes they're smaller. We've kind of found, to be perfectly honest, that we, we prefer smaller syndicates. We mm. tend to find that if the syndicates get too large, you end up with a too many cooks in the kitchen type of situations. And generally speaking, with the families we're dealing with, right, it's very successful businessmen, kind of, let's say, a lot of type A-ish personalities, mm. start to get too many of those people in a room and it, 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 it you know, egos start to get in the way and then just the politics of it starts to be like, uh, it's not worth it. So we honestly don't tend to syndicate more than maybe two to three families in a cluster, but I think a lot of them do kind of like doing these kind of small clusters because they kind of know, oh, you know, oh, we have two or three families from the same industry. They all have the expertise. You kind of have this comfort level 
Um, and I think a lot of them do have sort of, you know, let's say if you're successful in business, you know other families who are successful in the same business and industry and you can kind of go together and go, oh, I did this, I like this, I'm going to call, maybe he's a competitor or whatnot, but you sort of, I think in a lot of ways, right? To a certain extent, some of the competitors, depending on where you are, can be somewhat friendly mm-hmm. with each other, right? They, 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 I, I think if you're doing business properly, that kind of mm-hmm. tends to be the case, right? You kind of know know who the other players are, you kind of... Are know them at least on some level. On absolutely. some level and kind of professionally. Yeah. And you can kind of go in with some of those people, right? Assuming you're on good terms. Um, and so you, I think you do see kind of some syndicates in this, this way. Mm-hmm. And I think there is some, some comfort level there. And I will say for us too, a lot of the deal flow that we get actually is coming from, from f- families within like our clients. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are coming to us and being like, oh, we want to take 50%, 60%, 70% of this deal. We're trying to fill out the other bits. We know, you know, you guys are working with other families in the industry. Can we can you pull some of them in? Mm. And, and we do quite a bit of that. The uh, but but in those syndicates, are they often or do you take the venture funds also in, or is it typically the syndicates of families? I, I mean, I, I think the answer is probably yes and no, right? I, I was about to say <laughs> it, it's one of those things that yeah. that's a mix. I mean, I think so. One of the things of, of I mean, this is kind of a different aside mm. of, of how to answer this question. Um, when I'm, invi- when I'm advising mentoring startups, one of the things I tell them is, generally speaking, to close your investment round, whatever investment round it is, you're looking at minimum like three to five investors, right? And so we go, okay, based on what I was saying before, you're saying maybe two to three of those are a family office, and then you have like one or two outside money from whatever. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's sort of the thing that, that we do also do kind of more directly is, you know, if we have something that's internal, we'll try to fit it, fill it internally. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. And then... If we can't fill it internally, um, I would say, you know, we're working with 55 families directly, but we probably have a greater network of easily a couple hundred funds, other financial organizations that, you know, we kind of know what they want as well. And, and on an appropriate basis, we kind of talk to them and say, hey, we're doing this. We're, you know, our group is going to take X percent. We're trying to fill out the remaining whatever. And, you know, we know this interests you. Do you want to get involved? Right. And, yeah. and, and there is a certain amount of that in I really think it's a bit more of a... I think that's one of the things I have to really determine. I think there's a lot more kind of case-by-case thing mm. because at the end of the day, it's it's an individual's money, so they can kind of do whatever they want. Right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's not any real mandate. There's not LPs that they have to answer to. Like, like None of these things are going on, right? It's sort of the LP you have to answer to is essentially yourself, so there might be issues around yeah. you know, having to police yourself, but most of these are you know professionals that have been you know some of the best in their industries. They... They know how to do these types of things, right? It's, mm. Maybe kind of taking the circle back to the beginning a little bit. The uh, family offices, uh, climate, uh, sustainability, future. How do you see this kind of thing, kind of sector going forward? So here's one of the things. It's really, really interesting. As an aside, I didn't actually think this is where I'm going to be going in this conversation, mm. but I, I think... One of the things that I've noticed about kind of the family offices, and I think a lot of people you deal with, is I think a lot of people, at least a lot of the families that we deal with, they actually honestly don't really like, let's say, what I would call the trends around mm-hmm. how the space is discussed. And they just basically have said, we just believe this is the, the right way to do business. And I, I think you can really break down, depending on what framework you want to use, I think ESG is an okay-ish framework. For example, just to yeah. break things down as an example, but you can really look at, for example, like, oh, one, one example I use is, okay, let's look at the E, for example, and you go, okay, if you're doing bad on the E side, that also means most likely your processes are not particularly efficient. And then there, there are business issues about like not having efficient processes. You can probably uh, 
improve both and and i think this is a lot of the mentality of just like no this is just like proper business practice um you can kind of call it whatever you want (laughs) and and give you different frameworks and so on and so forth but at the end of the day you know just using asd just to break down specific areas in general you want good govern like you want good governance regardless of the framework you're talking about oh actually for doing bad for the environment actually that probably means there's something wrong with your your factories or or Mm. the processes you have in place and if you fix those like there's usually a pretty obvious business case for it um i think it's similar with with sort of the society element of like if you have a bad relationship like in what scenario do you do you have does a really good business let's say have a terrible relationship with society um i mean you could sort of i don't know in the states one of the one of the businesses like that would be let's say the cable companies or whatever but like they're getting disrupted like like those industries get disrupted probably the fastest out of anyone is like all the industries that like people are like i hate this let's fix it let, let's fix it like, like yeah. excuse me yeah. someone someone's gonna go come in and yeah. fix that right yeah and and i think for us and i think that's the thing too is, is some of the families we work with we're, we're talking you know at this point it's third fourth fifth maybe they've been running this for hundreds of years I think they've kind of, let's say, learned those lessons of like, oh, if we want to be in this game for a long time, and I'm not talking about, um, I heard someone, for example, talk about a lot of companies, you can kind of map out their rise and fall by of how quick they rise is how fast they fall. You can actually sort of map out. That's mm-hmm. like kind of the standard thing, right? And so we're looking at now, let's say a lot of the tech companies, um, a lot of them are, are getting out of here, you know, even if they're super big within a decade, 15 mm-hmm. years, and you know, that's their entire life cycle. And a lot of the, these companies have realized, like, oh no, if we want to be a couple hundred year company, then yeah, we have to be doing these things mm. correctly, um, regardless of what it, whatever it's called. And I just think a lot of them just sort of see this in a ways of like, all right, if we if we want to be in, if we think of this game as an infinite game, and we want to be in this game infinitely, this is just how we have to play. Yeah. And there's just there's just almost, and if you really think about, it, there's almost no other way to play. Um, and at least one of the things that I'm seeing, this is not necessarily from the family side, but but in general, is is I do think generally, generationally, more and more younger people are sort of demanding that's the way you play. They're basically saying like, oh, we're we're not going to support companies that don't play in this way. Um, and I would I would ar- almost argue that that's you know generally speaking quite a good thing. Um, of of just thinking about it, of, of just like we're we're basically establishing like we believe these are the proper rules to play the game. And if you don't play by these rules, then, then you shouldn't be playing. Um, and I, 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 I was giving a talk about about how that 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 I do think it that is a little bit of a generational thing. I think younger generations are kind of demanding that. However, I I do think, and I, I was at an event, and, and some of the older generations was kind of um, let's say getting on my case for being an um, ungrateful younger generational <laughs> person and blah blah. blah. Um, but I, I think part of the reason that I think a lot of these people are able to, to do that and demand that is because older generations have been able to fix a lot of the basic problems. So, so we don't actually have to deal with a lot of the, the basic, basic problems. Um, we're, we're at a point where, you know, for most people on the planet, uh, hunger, not really a big issue. I think that's down to uh, under a billion and, and one of the you know, shrinking really fast and, and at the lowest percentage population percentage mm. in the history of humanity. Most people have housing, have clothing. It, it's, most people's basic needs are met. All of a sudden, you can start to be like, "Oh, we want to. We're going to demand that you can do all these other things." Um, and then I think, kind of tying that back around is, again, these are smart business people. They see mm-hmm. and they say, "Oh, this is the future. Oh, we want to sell these people. Oh, 
those are the demands of the future. If we want to, if we want to play this game infinitely, that that's what's required yeah. to play this game infinitely. So that's how we're gonna play. But it, it, it's, yeah. it's it's I don't know. I, I almost see it as that simple. Um, cool. uh, I mean, <laughs> it's good point to kind of uh, finish on simplicity. Yeah. I think I think it very nicely wrapped to, yeah. together the discussion. Thanks, this, Alex. Oh, we'll thank continue you so there next time. It sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Back Podcast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.